I'm Joe Chicarone, and this is Built Not Born, episode 95. Today's guest is Ryan Lassan. Ryan Lassan is the founder of Inspired Brand Consulting and a professional mindset coach. Today, Ryan and I discuss imposter syndrome, why so many people lack the confidence that they need to live their best lives. We discuss how the stories we tell ourselves make all the difference in defining the people we become. Ryan also discusses how to create your own personal brand and how we all can live a more focused and less distracted life. Was excited to get Ryan on the show. Uh, she's a graduate of Georgetown University. So smart. So many great ideas on how to just get out of our own way, build our confidence, create our own personal brand, move away from distraction and live our best lives. If you like what you hear, hit that follow button or better yet, please share this episode with a friend. We have a bunch of cool interviews like this one to come, including episode 100, where we will be joined by international best-selling author, the one and only Seth Godin, making his return appearance to the show. Enjoy my conversation with Ryan Lassan. And remember, life is built, not born. Ryan Lassan, welcome to the show. Thank you. Hi, Joe. And hello to your listening audience, Built Not Born. It's awesome to be here. Thank you so much. I'm really honored. It is an honor to have you, Ryan. For our listeners who may not be familiar with you and your work, who are you and what do you do? So who am I? I am an executive coach, a leadership coach, lifestyle coach. I really support high achievers who want to advance their professional dreams. So they might want to quantum leap the corporate ladder or move up within their organization, or they may want to start and scale a business. So I've got those two demographics, but there's a huge but for my clientele, my target audience. They've got these big dreams, but they are afraid of them. They are trapped in mindsets of imposter syndrome, perfectionism, and distractionism. And I start with who I coach because that's also who I am very much. I am my own best client, right? I have lived a life that has been sort of a dual life. One where I'm sure we'll get into this, where I have a very strong passion, a very strong um acumen and competency around personal development, spirituality, this growth as a person. And then I also have a life of having to really put these tools into practice because I very much, without these tools that I teach, I very much will be impacted by imposter syndrome perfectionism, and distractionism. Those three, that trifecta of, I call that the trifecta of a confidence gap, a personal confidence gap, those will keep me in the bed with my head under the covers. So that's, that's a bit about who I am and what I do. I coach individuals who are really looking to advance and feel stuck. And that's exactly me, high achiever, who really wanted to have a business and had no idea what that meant and what that would require has 
torn the Band-Aid off of some very raw mindsets there, some very fixed mindsets within myself that I have had to navigate, peel back, and heal from. Yeah, wow. I want to speak about imposter syndrome. Seth Godin, who was a guest on the show a couple of weeks back, awesome. says we are all imposters. Like we're all, oh, yeah. yeah, we are all imposters. And I totally believe that. But we all have that imposter syndrome to a degree, mm-hmm. distraction, mm-hmm. lack of focus. I'll raise my both hands. Oh yeah. my gosh, how quick it is to get distracted in this day and age. Mm-hmm. And then lack of confidence. I think that's probably, we all suffer from that at some point where maybe we're overconfident, then we get our butts kicked, then we're lack of confidence and we kind of go in and out. So let's cover all that. And then yeah. feeling stuck, who hasn't felt stuck oh, at some point, either in your personal life, or professional life. We'll definitely get into that too. But before we do that, I want to start back all the way from the beginning. Where did you grow up? So I grew up outside of the Washington, D.C. area in Northern Virginia in a really cute little town called Reston. And it was a very idyllic, very sweet place, very diverse. It was built like with the premise of being a very diverse place. It was a planned community. So people who generally lived in Reston were very like nice, warm people. So I grew up in a warm environment, I would say for certain. I grew up in a home where my dad was very, <laughs> just a passion of his, very focused on the mind, mindsets. And this is, I was born in 79. So I'm talking about like, taped cassettes in the 80s of listening to Stephen Covey and some of these big names that we still listen to today as thought leaders in this space. And so I grew up very much in conversation with my parents, specifically my dad, around mindset, around thinking, and around how the mind works and all of the mysteries of the mind. And also for my dad, I would say grappling with the spirituality question that very philosophical question of who am I and how do I become the better versions of myself? My mom, on the other hand, was really more of like my first, I would say, maybe personal brand coach. She was very focused on having more of an introverted child, which I was, to be on stage, to have the experiences, to have the exposures, to learn how to write, learn the etiquette. So she was very into the molding of who my brother and I are. So those two prongs wrapped in that I, like everyone else, was raised by human beings. And so there's a complexity there. I was a guest the other day on a fantastic podcast. And the question was, how did you grow up thinking about first things first from as a child and being exposed to all this sort of personal branding and still grapple with perfectionism, imposter syndrome, and distractionism? And I thought, yeah, that's a great question. And it's because it's my human journey to have my own intergenerational healing, healing the things about my parents or my parents' mindsets or my family's mindsets, but what we can do, what we can't do, what is for us, what isn't for us, and whatever those dynamics are that we all hold, our own personal trauma that we've had to deal with as human beings growing up and and identifying ourselves. And so it's that nexus of my interest growing up as well as my life's story and journey that are the root of who I am. But I got into this space because in 2012, I think it was, I had this real passion project to 
um, have a brunch for my girlfriends where a speaker was going to come in and talk about personal development, personal branding. And I went out to lunch with a girlfriend and I shared with her, I'm going to do this thing. You've got to come. And she said, and I said, I'm looking for a speaker. And she said, you are the speaker. I said, well, talk about imposter. We're all imposters. Right? I was like, oh, absolutely not me. This is not me. I just have a vision to bring this. But I really did want to have the, I wanted to have this conversation. I wound up wanting to make a workbook for it. I, I wanted to have an imprint. And so I let that suggestion sit with me for a bit. And I wound up being the first speaker of what was then Inspire Sunday Brunches. In 2014, so it was two years, it was a passion project, and I did a number of different things, education workshops. By 2014, I was professionally an executive in a nonprofit, and I was doing great work, doing great things, but I also was feeling the impact of growth, which means I was feeling undervalued, undernurtured, overworked, all of the things that squeeze one out of a nest of comfortability. In September of that year, my alma mater... I have a master's degree in public relations and communications from Georgetown University. They were offering a master's class for a group of women who had gone through their program and they were piloting a career development course taught by a coach. I had not worked with a coach before. I didn't really know what a coach did per se. You just started to hear that term coach around at that time. So anyway, I went to this class and in her introduction, she asked the most powerful question that landed with me in two ways. And she asked, are you your own best friend? And that question landed with me first. That experience where honestly, what the feeling is actually was shame. It was that warm, as Brene Brown talks about, that warm feeling that comes up (laughs) from the base of your gut. Your eyes start to water, your heart starts to palpitate, you start to want to shrink and hide. Please no one see that I'm having an emotional moment here. No, I do not speak to myself as if I am my own best friend. And I present as an optimist. I present as a person who it seems like, of course, I would be my own best friend and I champion everyone else. And I talk to myself horribly. I didn't even recognize that. Well, If I talk to myself in this way, this was the second way it landed with me. I felt this burning desire, as Napoleon Hill would say, Mm -hmm. the burning desire to do something about that, to answer, help people answer that question. How do you begin to talk to yourself as if you are your own best friend? Because Mm -hmm. the fact of the matter is, is that you and I talk to ourselves 365 days out of the year, 24 hours a day seven days out of the week. It's only us and us. That's it. And if we tell ourselves things like, you don't deserve this, this isn't, you're not worthy of this. And they, and the other thing that I've learned is it's maybe not quite in that language. You're not enough. Our minds say the sweet nothings that we need to hear to keep us, as you talked about, stuck and trapped within ourselves, taking inaction, which is inaction is it's the sense of being immobile. And I wanted to answer that question for people. I wanted to help people answer that question. So that's how I got to where I am sort of initially. And that was in 2014. And I went back to school again to get certified as a coach, really learn that practice. And then I got a coach because I very quickly learned that while I am a coach, I am a business owner. Mm -hmm. And as much as I might know how to coach someone, running a business is not coaching. And Mm -hmm. that is where the rubber (laughs) met the road for me. 
Yeah. You mentioned about confidence and getting stuck and imposter syndrome. Why do you think so many people lack confidence? Like they asked you to be a speaker and you just said, oh, not me. Like you came up with the idea, you gathered people together. Leaders leaders organize things, right? It's one of the things leaders do and they have influence. So it looked like you had influence, looks like you were organizing. Then like, how about you speak? That would look like a really common third step after organizing and engaging and people are following you. And then you and you were influencing people to get together. And then they said, how about you speak? And you're like, hey, that's not me. Where do you think that lack of confidence slash imposter syndrome come from? Mm -hmm. I'm going to split the two apart just to give some distinction. And again, this is how would I define these. So one, I think if I were to give a speech and say, I want you to take away one thing from today, it is the stories we tell ourselves make all the difference. Again, the stories we tell ourselves make all the difference. I'll also say the stories that we tell ourselves, objectively speaking, are meant to support our survival. <laughs> so my, exactly as you did, you're like holding my hands up and be like, ah, nope, not me. That's not, not me. me. That's not me. Based on two things. One, the story I was telling myself. What story did I have as a leader? The story was, oh gosh, that's not me. A leader is somebody who already has this thing or has that thing, or they are that, or they come from this, or they have that, or they're able to do that, or they've represented that way, or I'm not. Everybody can, but I can't. And so it's that story that we tell ourselves, and then it's the actions that are taking place based on that story. And oftentimes those actions are procrastination, avoidance, abandonment, self-loathing, self-shaming, because there is a disconnect between the dream. I want this thing. I wanted so badly to bring this idea to fruition that I was talking about it. It wasn't something I was like avoiding or hiding, but for me to actually step in and be the person to be the speaker, it started to unravel the stories that I felt about myself. I'm not enough. I'm not ready. Who would listen to me? What would I even say? Now, as I've come to understand how the mind works, we very much have a lot of practices that we can support people unravel those stories and really to begin to question those stories. Is that true? You know, is it true that you're not prepared? Is it true that a leader has to show up this way? We can rationally support people come to the terms of, oh, okay, that's not true. It's not true that I'm an imposter. And then there also has to be a cycle and a process of healing that thought because essentially that thought of I'm not enough, but really when you whittle that down very, very, very quickly, what that core reason is is I'm afraid of something. I'm afraid of being vulnerable. I'm afraid of being rejected. I'm afraid that's a life fear, yeah. you know, that's that's being expressed in this experience. And so we've got to heal also from these traumatic thoughts that we keep reliving in these stories that we tell ourselves. So really a technique to start paying attention in terms of mindfulness and awareness. Well, how do I know if I'm stuck or how do I know what I'm telling myself? A mindfulness practice of Beginning to become, even just take, let's say, a time frame of a day or an hour and begin to become really keenly aware of the words you use. Do you say things like, I'd love to do this, but I can't? 
I'd like this, but I'm not able to. Where is that but in the sentence? Because in that, if this were like a math equation, essentially that sentence would give you one part of the equation, which is I want, and then it gives you this but which erases essentially the yeah. front part of that equation. <laughs> and then you've got this, this thing that you're wedded to. I'm wedded to a leader looks like this. A leader mm-hmm. should be. I was on a call the other day with a client who's talking about a personal brand. She's, she's really, and she's doing incredible investigative work within herself. And as she's talking and she's exploring, and I'm, of course, listening, I'm attuned to hearing her. And what I hear her say is one So she's also comparing. This is what we do as human beings. We compare ourselves to others. And so in her comparing, what she's hoping to do is contrast. Contrast is separate from comparing. Contrast is more objective. I see that this is a blue sky versus like a navy sky. Contrast. Comparing is I value blue more than I value navy or I want to be blue. There's there's a comparison there. Blue is better than navy. So she is comparing as she's looking to explore her leadership style versus someone else. And so she talks about these two powerful leaders that are in her industry who show up as a way of like, I want to be leaders like them, but I am not X, Y, and Z. So there she's got her great equation. I want this either exposure or this influence, but I don't show up like this. I don't. And so there's her, she's trapped by that story. Mm -hmm. Great. That's what we need to work on. So start listening to your words. What are you saying? What's behind the but? That's the inner work to do. A couple things there. I've heard someone tell me when someone says something nice, but you could, like you said, you can erase everything they said before. The real thing they're trying to say is after the but. And I've heard someone say, you could say and, and it's like inclusive. Instead of saying, hey, I, I loved hanging out with you, but I wish I got a chance to go to the market. I'm going to hang out with you and I'm going to go to the market. Like you got like both of them. But that end makes them both magic. When you say but, it erases everything, right? Oh my gosh, Joe. That, what you, <laughs> that practice there is huge. That is a huge mindfulness practice for individuals to be able to create more space for themselves, more flexibility. Oftentimes, Mm -hmm. we are very boxed into the, I want to hang out with you, but I wanted, but I want, but, and and that absolutely eradicates the beginning part of the desire. And that and, because we are both, we are both ands, always. I want to hang out with you, and I've got to figure out the time to you know, we call it integrate or balance or whatever, but it is to do both. Yeah. Yeah. And then you mentioned something maybe 10 minutes ago, growing up, you said your parent, I think you said your dad had a bunch of cassette tapes in the nineties and Stephen Covey was one of the guys. Is there a better book, a more timeless book than the seven habits? That book. Totally. So, 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 so much. Crazy. So helpful. Very, very that helpful. Another, I, that came from another planet, that book. That book, you can't read that enough. And if you read it and we read it, like it just, it, it hits you different every time because there's another, maybe like begin with the end of mind or think win-win. Like there's another part of your life that you're in. And one of the laws or habits, one of the, the habits is like more appropriate to that moment than it was a year ago when you read it or glanced at the book. Yes. It's so, yes. that book is so, um, Agreed. yeah, Agreed. It, 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 that book is so good. What a gift that was to find that yeah. uh, at such an early age. Yeah. It was it, really transformative. Mm-hmm. Funny story uh, on the Philadelphia Eagles. I'm a big fan mm-hmm. of the Eagles and um, their punt returner 
his last name's Covey, Brian Covey, or I forget his first name. I realized in the middle of the season, he's a rookie. Middle of the season, there's a story on him. His grandfather was Stephen Covey. Oh my goodness. And then he would tell, he told the story when like his grandfather's way old, obviously way older than him. But like when he was like nine years old and a bunch of his cousins would get together, uh, Stephen Covey would take him outside by the fire the campfire and talk to him about the seven habits and tra- and they were like, please, grandpa, keep quiet. I want to go play like Super <laughs> oh Mario. Oh my God. Yeah, they were like blowing him off and then uh, he died. And then after he got older and he, he realized what an impact that book, yes. that, what a genius his grandfather was because I wish I listened to him more. Like they would always blow him off. Like, I don't want to hear your stories. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. That is magnificent. Yeah. Uh, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Getting back to confidence, right? Mm-hmm. So like when you lack confidence, you I mean any person, Mm-hmm. That permeates your professional life, Oof. your personal life, your relationships, if you're married with your spouse, with your kids, mm-hmm. with your friends, right? Can yes. you, so from your from your experience, yeah. what lack of confidence can do to a career or like a, a personal relationship? For me personally? No, anything, or just or in anything, general. What you've seen yeah, with your clients, customers. Absolutely. So I will say in general, people when, particularly for people who are ambitious and they, they want to create things. They want to try new things. They want to make an impact and have influence and find meaning and purpose. A lot of times um, our visions and our our callings or our desires, they are, I call them commercials from God or commercials from the divine, whatever someone feels connected to. And oftentimes those, fla- oftentimes those flashes can feel much bigger than what we feel equipped to do in the now moment. And so oftentimes we go to the how. How am I going to make that happen? How am I going to make this work? How? And so we can really force that effort of how, how, how. And a lot of times that can really erode confidence because there might not be the how answers there. There may be more answers around what. What is it? Getting really clear on the what. What do you want? What is the support maybe that's needed? When do you want to do it? What's uh, what's out there? What's possible? And so when we start to focus on those kinds of generative questions, they, they begin to create momentum. It closes the confidence gap of an individual versus widening. You know, that how, how am I going to make it happen? How is it going to be? How is it going to look? What are they going to say? Those very almost obsessive questions outside of self. And so really focusing back on self and saying, okay, what can I do versus what are they going to say? So that practice can be very helpful. Managing our emotions is something that's really can impact someone's confidence. Someone's being able to trust themselves. Do they trust that they're going to be able to complete the task? That can also very much erode someone's confidence. But again, if you are the entrepreneur, you're the talent, there can be this real push-pull around confidence because what you'll very quickly find out is that you as a business owner, you as a talent, you've got to do more than your talent. You've got to have the vision and you've got to execute as one person. And so wearing multiple hats, someone can be very 
very confident in their skill as a martial artist. Listen, them on the mat, they can go, you know, me and my coaching, I am in it, I'm on it. But then you're talking about, well, now you also have to do social media, or you also have to speak in front of an audience, or you have to... Now, this is not about the person's talent. It's about the other aspects of running a business or living a life. And that can invoke vulnerability, those different hats to have to wear. And so to have to juggle it all, do it all, feel like you have to do it all, there's just so many booby traps, honestly, for confidence erosion. Tell me if you think this is a fair statement. I found leaders with low confidence, either in their skills, and low confidence in a leader get together. What I find is micromanaging, where they have their ego gets really big, where a very confident leader has a very low ego. And granted, they're engaged, they're involved, and they know what's going on, but they're more confident to set the direction and step back and see what unfolds. They don't have to have their hands in everything. Leaders that maybe aren't as confident in their leadership skills, they're very hands-on. And they have to be a part of everything because if they're not there, it's not going to go right. They have to be involved in the process or there's no way this process can go right unless I'm in the middle of everything. And then that micromanaging is lack of confidence in either the people or in their skills or a combination of both. What, what do you think? I think that's spot on. I think it's definitely, I think there's so many layers there. If it was a case study, like what do you see? I see one that there most likely is a real breakdown around like vision articulation, you know, that this person, the leader, isn't able to really conceptualize and train their people based on the vision. And so they're not trusting that that knowledge, that institutional knowledge that's in their brain has gone and been processed by someone else. So there is that sense of mistrust. I don't trust my people to do what I know I could do. And then there's also maybe this sense of distrust around are they able to actually execute on the things? And this is, again, entrepreneurs or moving up in management or starting something new. There are all of these unknown things that are part of some part of a title, part of a responsibility. And not all of the things are interesting. They're not all part of someone's brilliance. They're not all that someone's even good at. So having to navigate and manage through that, I think it, it really does invoke someone's relationship with themselves, whether they trust themselves or they don't. And that from that, do they trust other people or not? Doing some research on you, I see you've done so much great work with minority business leaders, people of color in the workplace and assuming more responsibility, taking leadership roles. From your perspective, what are some of the present day challenges minorities face in today's workplace? Yeah, I think there's there's so many, Joe. I mean, we could talk about when you're talking about minorities, you're talking about women, you're talking about various races, ethnicities, LGBTQ. I mean, so many yeah. types of ways that we're talking about diversity now, which is so wonderful. The lens that I tend to take in terms of my work is not institutional or like organizational barriers to access, meaning I am not a DEI consultant and come in and help organizations really map out how they're going to build diversity and equity and social justice within their organization. I really look at it from a micro, a super micro perspective of individuals. So when I'm talking to an individual, it's really about what is the story that they are holding? What is the story that they are carrying? What is the story? And so, so often, like for instance, the example of the client that I was using the other day, 
she is really talking about her personal brand. We were doing a lot of work around her core values, which is really where your personal brand stems from, her strengths. And as she was talking about this, she was comparing and contrasting herself against some other leaders. Those leaders that she was comparing herself to were this client of mine is a Black woman. They were Black women. In her story of who she was as a leader, who she wasn't as a leader, it was her comparing herself against other women who are within her same demographic. And yet it was also about, well, now it gets more complicated because she said, now as a Black woman, am I able to show up in this way? So then again, as an individual, we all carry narratives. What is her narrative of being a Black at the intersection of a Black woman, a leader at her organization. So again, peeling back that layer of what are those stories mean? What do the beliefs mean to the individual? And this is not really any different than if you were taking any other person and peeling back their stories. The stories tend to be within this demographic somewhat similar, personal ideas of I have to work twice as hard and expect less. I have to show up perfectly in order to be taken seriously. I have to really modulate my tone when I'm feeling I'm I'm an executive and there was a big blow up over here and I can't just holler at somebody. I have to really modulate my tone because I don't want to be a particular stereotype of an angry black person. So, you know, those kinds of things are things that we it, that's unique maybe to a subsect of minorities. But I think you're looking across the globe at people who feel like they are a, a minority in a place and it's the stories that we carry. And it's not that those stories aren't part of that person's experience. So I am not taking away someone's experience. I am supporting someone who's saying, this story is no longer serving me mm-hmm. and my progression forward. So that's really how I support people from that individual standpoint. Yeah. So tying two things you said together there over the last couple of minutes. One, you asked the question, what is the story this person is telling themselves? And then your takeaway from, from the beginning is the stories we tell ourselves make all the difference. So it's like, what story are you holding on to? Are you enough? Are you not enough? Is everyone out to get you or, or do you have everything you need? Are you not, are you an imposter, not an imposter? Like that story you keep talking, that self-talk. It's either a limiting belief or your greatest asset, right? Joe, that's exactly, (laughs) that's like one of my slides. (laughs) You are either your best friend or your worst enemy. Like exactly. And and that's all, that's the only difference that is, it truly, it comes down to, you Mm. know, I mean, because when we peel every single thing away and oftentimes it's just us and us we're still not doing the thing we want to do. Mm-hmm. And it's because of the things we're telling ourselves. Now, it may be more often or not, it is, it's because of experience. Well, this person, this happened to me, or I'm afraid of this thing happening. And so they're very real emotions and very real stories. And yet they're oftentimes real with a small R, a valuable R to be valued, Mm -hmm. but not a real R indicating that someone is incapable or something isn't, something's insurmountable. On your website, there's some great videos. And one of the videos is a woman who said that her grandmom said, told her granddaughter, who was one of your clients said, my grandmom told me that as a black woman, I have to work twice as hard to make half as much. Yes. 
right? right? Now, when someone comes to you with that, right? So if they feel that way, that's valid. That's their feelings. So then do you try to coach around that? That's a very powerful statement. And how do you handle when someone comes to you with that belief? How do you get them to the point where they feel like they're enough and they feel like they can enter the workplace and be treated fairly? How does that happen? Because that's got to be so hard. Yeah, it's a really very, very good question. One, I think recognizing that healing is a process. And that and and I call it healing because essentially a person is healing that belief about themselves. That's a very discordant belief, right? Like that I I have to show up in a certain way for my whole life and expect this thing. That's a mode of operating that someone's gonna really abide by. And that also has a whole lot of subcontext to it, you know, about how they show up, how they feel about themselves. So many layers there. So one, I think it's really about, uh, the question was, do you meet it head on? Do you coach around it? I think it's a lot of and there, a lot of both, a lot of and. And it also depends on where I am with that client and where are they with that story? you know, mm-hmm. um, and where are we in the journey of that story? Is it just coming up or is it something that we've been talking about for eons? And I'm like, oh, there it is again. There, you know, or is it something like, oh, okay. I mo- and most calls would let someone, you know, continue to talk. And just as you've done, you're a very, very wonderful listener. You peeled back. Okay. 10 minutes ago, five minutes ago, I heard you say there was this piece and then adding on this piece. I heard you say that there's this story that your grandma had mentioned to you and you know, what, what's the truth of that? How does that show up for you? What does that mean for you? What are you noticing about that? What do you know? What do you notice is a big coaching question. How is that impacting you? What's the truth of that? Ultimately, one of the big tools that I would offer for that person that I've actually heard has been very helpful as a tool that people have come back to is this idea of small T versus little t truth. Is that really true? You know, is it really true? Is it now that we've peeled back the layers and this person has heard themselves, they've heard how what what they think about it, how they're processing it, where it even came from. How did it even get to be that way? What was it protecting them from all this time? You know, what was it serving them? Is it serving them anymore? What so all this exploration? And then it comes down to the practice of when they have that thought, is that true with a capital T? Like, yes, you know, this is true fact, or is this a small T, something that I can, through my mindfulness and talking to myself in a different way, I can work through this. And most of the time, we have a lot of small T's going on. That's fantastic. Thank you for that. On your website, and a few of your customers giving you testimonials said, you teach people that they deserve a seat at the table, like you build up their belief. Oh, wow. Yeah. That is huge. So that I'm kind of tying what I, the, the yeah. last question into this. <laughs> How yeah. long does it usually take? So then you have someone come to you with maybe you said a couple little T's or maybe it's a big T. Maybe they saw something, maybe something happened to them personally and they have to work around it. Or maybe they just, that was their feeling that maybe a family relative instilled in them. They come to you. How long does it take you to coach someone up that maybe has a, a limiting belief, but then you coach them up and you teach them that they do deserve a seat at the table and they do deserve to be there and they do deserve to move forward. And if they bring their best self forward, good things are going to happen. How long does that process really take? So good. So I'm going to say that 
it really varies based on the individual and based on their goal, right? So if someone's looking to start a business, they may be coaching with me for years. You know, I had a client the other day, she's actually not even starting a business. She's an attorney. And she said, we've been working together for four years. Wow. I meet with her once a month and she keeps me almost like staff consulting for her, you know, really helping her to manage through. She's a high executive. So in that way, it's an ongoing relationship. I will say though, that a conversation can change a person's life. And I really, I have a vision board back here. This is from, I think, 2014 when I first started my business. I saw it's really cool. I'm trying to yeah, read some thank of the things. I you. see some really cool sayings back there. Thank yeah. you. One of the so I've got a couple things to specifically talk about and remind myself that it's one at a time, one client, yeah. one conversation. I've got these cups of coffee that are yep. empty. So one <laughs> cup of coffee at a time. Absolutely. There's actually a quote here that says one great talk can change a life at your service. So really this idea of, you know, one one conversation can give someone an incredible breakthrough. I met with my coach that I've been working with for seven years and we met during our discovery call. So she was, she's the coach. I was the client and she's taking me out for a discovery conversation. And so do I want to work with her? Does she want to work with me kind of thing? And she said to me, this is now a free conversation, consulting, a free conversation. She's having a complimentary conversation. And she said, I was at the point in time where I was, I had started a business, quote unquote, a business, and my head was under the covers. Like I was terrified of being a business owner. And yet I was a very profound coach. I was good at what I did. So what's the disconnect? What's this confidence gap, right? And so she said to me, she said, you know, you are a coach and that is your talent. However, you are a business owner. And if you want to learn, if you want to run a business, a successful business, you don't want this to be a hobby, you're going to have to learn how to do that. You're going to have to learn how to how to run a business. Seven years later, I still go to that free advice that she gave me. It's about learning how to run a business. And that has been the th- one of the things that's been so terrifying for me yeah. is really the unweaving those stories for myself. And Yet and still I stand, which is I'm something I'm very, very proud of all these years later. And that conversation made a big difference. So it, it takes time. I have a signature program that's six months because it's a good feeling of beginning, middle, end, good, good amount of time there. Yeah. And yet many of those relationships are ongoing. And then again, one conversation can change a life, can yeah. really change the trajectory. Step by step. It's like Seth Godin. I'll bring him up again. Seth Godin has a a saying. It says, drip, drip, drip creates the wave. Yes. Right? So like one conversation at a time changes every one, one, one. Because you look at everything from getting your degree at Georgetown or getting your black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. If you said, hey, it's 15 years of training at a jiu-jitsu school three to four times a week, and you're going to get your butt kicked 600 times probably, really bad. And, and you're going to show up when it rains and it's snowing. And, and like, you're like, I'm not doing that. Like, heck with that. But you just say, hey, just go to the next class. Just take the next one. Just worry about there's class tonight at seven o'clock. Just go to that. That's all you have to worry about. Don't worry about the next 15 years. You can do the next class and not worry about what's happening six months from now or even tomorrow, right? So like <sighs> one at a time, right? One step yes. at a time changes everything, that mindset, right? Yes. Honestly, just even as I'm listening to you coach me up, (laughs) my blood pressure is lowering. I can feel it. Yes. One step at a time. I have a mentor from SCORE who's amazing, free mentor out there. And his name is Tom Raymond. He's in his 80s, profound business owner who 
really coached me up a couple months ago and said, slow is fast. Slow is fast, Ryan. And, you know, I've got big dreams. I've got a family. I've got all these things I want to do. And I'm super personal, super transparent. I, just like everybody else, I can be my own worst enemy. And that projection into six months, tomorrow, next week, what's it going to look like in five years? Am I going to be able to do that? Whoa. I mean, that is a... I mean, that is a fast track to anxiety and to widening a confidence gap. It cements that confidence gap open versus, as you said, the next class. What's tonight? What's go- What do I have to do today? And that priority setting, it can be very challenging because it can feel like everything is a priority, but that one drip, 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 that one yeah. piece. That present moment, like you, if you could stay in the present moment, that is so powerful. Not get distracted what happened yesterday or tomorrow. That's so big. Two other things before we move on. I want to touch base on focus. You do a lot of work on focus and less distraction. Mm-hmm. I know for me, like I'm trying to get a guest on and all they have an Instagram. And I, let me go on Instagram for three minutes and invite this guest on the podcast, right? Mm-hmm. And next thing you know, 15 minutes later, I'm watching jujitsu video still. Like all of a sudden a great video, then it's another video. Then I'm watching Hoist Gracie in 93. Then I'm watching Gordon Ryan fight in the Abu Dhabis. I'm like, oh my gosh, I just spent 20 minutes watching jujitsu videos and I didn't even invite the guest. And I'm like, whoa, like I got Joe, stop. Like how can the average person be more focused and less distracted? Because I think everyone struggles with that. Yeah, absolutely. I agree that everyone does. And this is a day and age where there are so many distractions. Like that's no longer just like a thing to say, like literally there's just, there's a distraction everywhere. Um, so let me give this caveat that I just figured out. So I've been using the term, it's distractionism. It's something that I made up in my practice because it's something I experience and I see over and over and over again. I coined this maybe about five years ago. Well, this past September, things really life presented itself for me in a way where I really began to feel that distraction and sensitivity were like my nervous system sensitivity, essentially, were it was more than this thing that I was calling distractionism. There was more there. So what I have discovered, which putting all the clues together makes very good sense for myself, is that I actually have ADHD. So I'm going to talk about both and. So I'm going to talk about distractionism as this idea globally that what do you, what does a person do when they find themselves, just as you mentioned, Joe, like down portals? How do we begin to have time awareness? And how do we back up out of these portals of time and energy suck? So that's one thing. And then there's also a nervous system that is pretty hardwired to like seek distraction, be distracted, and also have some real complications with emotional regularity. So there's some some other layers there that now distractionism is like a like a glacier, you know, and we distractions at the top and ADHD is like at the bottom of that under the water. But to your question about what what can you do? Well, one, if a person is finding themselves, if distraction is issue where you're also finding yourself having some real issues managing your emotions, like you're feeling overwhelmed, like pretty chronically overwhelmed, you're feeling lost, you're feeling distracted, you can't quite make out like how to put one foot in front of the other, you feel like you've got plans in place, but you can't execute on them, there may be 
something more going on. And I do feel like a public service announcement about ADHD specifically and specifically in women because we're like so overlooked. It's like a real, real, real thing. I'm 43 and I was just diagnosed like, and I'm in this work. So it's like super, super real. Now, one of the things that goes along with ADHD, which I think I'm going to just talk about this one symptom because we talked about time, is this thing called time blindness. Now, I don't know if you know the average person has time blindness, but I do know that people who are highly distractible can suffer from time blindness, which is an actual real condition, which means that there is a real disassociation from time itself. It's like linear time almost doesn't exist. Just as when you were on Instagram, it was like, where did the time go? Mm -hmm. You know, it's like a blindness about that. However, someone can actually live their lives that way, always perpetually late, not able to get out of the house on time. Those are symptoms of that. So what to do? One is to become more fluent with time. So in your case, you might actually set a timer. And you might say, okay, I know, right? I know that I'm about to be on the computer and I know that I, I'm going to do some research on my upcoming podcast guest. And this takes mindfulness. It takes awareness. Okay, self, I'm going to spend 15 minutes. I actually did this today. I set a 90 minute block to plan my daughter's birthday party because it was something that was so overwhelming. I finally had to concretely set, sit down, set the mm -hmm. timer. So set the timer 15 minutes. I'm giving myself 15 minutes most likely going to do the research, but at 15 minutes, I'm going to at least check in with myself and see where I am. Timers are very, very, very helpful. On my iPhone, I've got an alarm that I've labeled all throughout the day when I need to transition to pick up my daughter, when I need to actually be out the door, when she and I need to be out the door in the morning, when I'm supposed to be making her breakfast. So I've really tried to clue in this time alignment with my energy. So that very well may be a concrete way to support mm -hmm. the distraction is this awareness of time. That is very helpful. I'm gonna do this for 10 minutes and wherever I'm at 10 minutes, it's done. And I move on something like that. And that'll really refocus you to say, I can't screw around because I barely have enough time in 10 minutes to get this done, let alone if I jump down a couple of rabbit holes, right? Exactly. And then if we were in a coaching conversation, I might say, okay, Joe, so what is, what at that 10 minutes, we all, we can get caught and like, I'm right in the middle of this. What would be a way that you might be able to like transition? So it might be, oh, I'm in a bookmark it, or I'm going to mm -hmm. like have a structure. I'll write it down in a notebook so that, but again, trying to accommodate for What's it going to be like when I try to pull the plug out of that distraction? Yeah. How do I then help to also help with that transition? That's great. And I appreciate that. I'm definitely going to try that out. How about last thing before we move on? Oh, branding. And that's another one of your specialties. One of the smartest people I've ever worked for when I went for an interview years ago, when I went for an interview, he looked, he asked me, he said, all right, so what's your personal brand? And I'm like, well, I had no idea. I'm like, whoa, you got me. And I think probably one of the reasons why I led into this podcast and before this, I had a blog. I wanted a personal brand. I wanted someone to say like, all right, tell me about yourself. And I, I had a body of work to show them. Here's 200 articles. Here's what I think, or at least thought at the time when I wrote these. Here's a podcast. Here's the questions I had at this time and the guests that interest me at this time. So you have like a body of work to hand over and it's like, this is my brand. And they can judge it, like it or don't like it. It's totally up to them. I don't control what they think about it. But uh, but personal branding, I guess my question is, 
How do you define a personal brand and say someone's, I don't have one. How do I create one? What are the first couple steps the average person can take to create their personal brand? Is that a fair question? Yeah, no, I love it. I love that question. There's so much in the intro that you said that I want to pull on too. So personal brand. Let me first say a personal brand to me is not how many likes someone has or a strategy. You know, it's really that core piece. It's, it is, who are you? Who are you? What are your core values? You talked about, you know, you wanted to express something. That's where your, that's where the, the je ne sais quoi of your brand was. That's, you know, it like you, you had it already. And if you asked your close friends and say, Oh, tell me about Joe. Like, what would you describe him as? They might say, Oh, yeah, he's like very uplifting and empowering and like really, you know, gets people like super coached up. And then, we as individuals look at that and say, oh my gosh, no, that's not me because of the stories, right? So we talked about that. So we have a personal brand. Our personal brand is centered on our core strengths, our core values. So really it's about getting to know what those things are. Your core brands are also your goals. Your core brand is your ambitions, your desires, your vision, your calling, your purpose. So in order to really get in touch with those things, we've got to sit with them and we have to accept them. Right. So that gets into that story piece again. Like, uh, I want this thing and it's part of, I think who I am, but I'm also rejecting it. So that's the essence of a personal brand is that core aspect of self. And then there's something else I think that you said that, that was so important is this is who I, up until now, this is who I've been. Right. This is who I was 200 art. Article number one, I might not even be interested in that anymore. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> that might not even a topic I'm talking about. Yep. I'm- but it's, you know, it's it's part of your like vault of now at this point, because it's, it sounds like in terms of like if I were doing again a case study on you, that that you have identified what your core values are. You write about them, you speak about them. When we were coming, you know, onto today's show and I asked you about yourself, you were very articulate with who your podcast is, what they're about, what they're looking for. You know, like you really knew who they are and all of that is extensions of you. So that's part of your personal brand, you know, that intersection of how you described your podcast between people who read books and MMA fighters. I mean, that intersection is you. That's your personal brand. So the more we can be ourselves without the flawed stories, the more we are living our personal brand. You are the only you. So be the youiest you you mm-hmm. can be. And that essentially is your personal brand. That's how people get like these mass followings because they show up and they're like themselves, you know? And then yeah. there's so many who feel super constrained and they're holding themselves back. Yeah, you have to have that authenticity has to be there. You know, you have to have your authentic self where you're not trying to be like you're influenced by so many people, but that you have, you can't be of like a second rate version of someone else. Like I love uh, Tim Ferriss. He's a podcaster. I'm a big fan of his. And then people that, that listen to Tim Ferriss can see his influence on my show. But if I tried to be Tim Ferriss, this whole show would crash because that you can't be him. Like it's, it would be a third rate version of him and the show would last three weeks. But now you're right. You have to be authentic. You have to be comfortable with what you're doing. That's really good. And I appreciate that. Uh, let's transfer over to a part of the show we call Share Your Secrets, so our listeners can get to know you a little bit more as a person. 
How about Ryan, looking back of all the things you've done, what's the biggest challenge you ever faced? Thematically speaking, I think the biggest challenge has been being an entrepreneur. I think that has been the most, I'm even at a loss for words as I'm trying to describe it. I think because when you are an entrepreneur, when you are the talent, again, I want to make them equated. It's you and you. There is no one else. There is no other Ryan LaSanne. There's no other Inspired Brand Consulting. And there is no one else that can make me do the things that are required. And so it's me and me on the mat. It's like mm-hmm. I either lose to myself or I win to myself. It's right. like am I it's the shadow. It's very, very, very scary. And we're also talking about livelihood. We're talking about what will they say? It and it provoked every ounce of imposter syndrome, every cell of perfectionism, and every distraction that could possibly be has come my way as an entrepreneur. The other day was talking to a client who was in her own processing. And the story I shared with her, she's a general counsel and she's looking to really around personal brands. She's talking about her personal leadership style and again, contrasting against someone else and the story that she wove. And the story I shared was, I have, and I've come familiar with this story, a very strong story within myself that an entrepreneur is blank, blank, blank. Oftentimes, it just depends on kind of who I'm comparing myself to, but an entrepreneur is a person who comes from this family or they've done this thing or had this background or they have those stories. And I've had to literally... And I'm talking about last week, even peel back. Oh, there it is again. There is, I've got this webinar I'm creating and oh no, it's this whole new project. And what are they going to say? And what are they going to do? And how am I going to manage? And so there it is again. It's like, boop, next project. Here comes all the stuff. So you got to take out all your jujitsu tools and make it happen and get yourself back on the mat. It's like, I'm constantly taking my damn self to work out. So that has been, I think the most challenging thing. I could also say parenthood, although I was a teacher. So there was some at least context I'm drawing on. Entrepreneurship, there's zero. I've not seen anything like it. So it is the band-aid that has ripped off, you know, major, major insecurities that are in there. How about on the other side of things? If you look back, do you have a favorite failure that set you up most for future success? Can you think of your most successful failure? Mm-hmm. Yes, same with business, right? <laughs> Definitely with business. There's a story that I share often. It was about 2016, and I had a business. I was in a coaching call with my coach. She said, What is the most scary thing that you can do right now? And I said, I want to call this woman. She was a huge exec, and I wanted her to be like a sponsor and a champion of Inspire. And I kind of knew her socially and take her out to coffee. And I was, Oh my God, it was so scary. And my coach said, Call her right now. I said, Oh my God, absolutely not. Like, I am not calling her. It was very visceral. I'm not doing it. So like six months goes by and I see her often. We're like socially connected. It could be so easy just to do this thing. And so finally, it's a Friday. I put it on my to-do list. I am making this happen. And so in the morning, I'm at my house doing regular things, getting ready for the day, and I'm putting the dishes away. And now because I am in the practice of what I do, mindfulness is a big thing. I can I hear myself thinking. I hear and feel my thoughts. I literally am taking dishes out of the dishwasher, putting them on the shelves, crying, sobbing. Like, I don't think I can do this. This is so scary. What is she going to say? I'm going to be so rejected. The business isn't even ready. I mean, it was just on and on and on. This went on for like 45 minutes. I actually pressed record on my phone to hear myself because I could hear 
how terrified I was. I paced up and down my hallway crying, talking about how frightened I am, how, you know, what all, I mean, oh my gosh, just the berating of the business isn't ready. You're not ready. It's not perfect. Finally, my eyes looked up from the hypnosis I was in and I caught the spine of a book that said, uh, the power of I am. And I heard it. I am. I am. I am talking myself into fear and out of faith. Like, get it together. And I wiped my tears and I sent her an email. And not only did was she, of course, very gracious and very kind, but she was my first corporate client. And I wasn't even looking for a client, you know? And so it always reminds me of like, are you talking yourself into fear? Are you talking yourself into faith? Because again, you're the one talking and you're the one that makes the difference. And yeah. that consistently reminds me of like, you're going to be all right. Talk right. to yourself nice. Yeah. If you talk to yourself <laughs> nice, you're either talking fear or you're talking faith. That's, that is excellent. How about you mentioned you started, we started this conversation back in the 90s. You're listening to your dad, Stephen Covey tapes. Is there a book that impacted your life or changed your mind more than any other? Do you have a favorite book? Oh, gosh. Oh, so many. If I could list like 10, I would. Okay. But for the sake of a conversation, yeah. what's coming out right now if that wants to come out is The Big Leap. Big it Leap. is a tool that I use a lot. The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks, Dr. Gay Hendricks. It's okay. one I use a lot around mindset. And the thing that Gay Hendricks is talking about in the first paragraph of the book, chapter one, he talks about... And he, Gay Hendricks is an executive coach who works with like executives, at IBM, like uh, the Steve Jobs of the world. And so he's like upper echelon of mm -hmm. of achievement. And so what he's saying is like, even for the, the, you know, for anybody, the higher you ascend, the more important it is for us to recognize what our upper limit problem is and to break through it. And our upper limit problems essentially are the stories that we tell ourselves. And we have to break through them if we want to get to the next level of whatever that next level is. Okay. And so he does in this very short book, a really very, very, very good job of breaking down what a upper limit is. So it gives you a really clear visual that an upper limit essentially is like a thermostat that we have. It's set and that we, for instance, by, by natural human design, I might have a great conversation with you. And then right after this podcast recording, I might sabotage myself in some kind of way. So we've hit this upper limit of like good things and then we self-sabotage. And then he breaks down how and why that's constructed in terms of different kinds of mindsets. Really, really powerful book. It's one that I take out in coaching all the time and like literally open up and read to my clients. I will put that in the show notes. Never heard of that one. Gay Hendricks, Big Leap. That sounds that sounds mm -hmm. perfect. Thank you. How about me? Ryan? If you could have everyone listening take just one lesson away from everything we discussed, what would that lesson be? It would be that your beliefs make all the difference. And when I am now substituting the stories for beliefs, the things you believe make all the difference. Your beliefs make all the difference because beliefs yeah. of your beliefs that causes the way you think causes your actions. Your actions give you your results. Your results drive your lifestyles. And it starts Absolutely. everything with beliefs. Wow, that's great. How about um, two fun ones to end the, to wrap things up? Ryan, if you could spend the day with anyone alive or dead historical figure family member anybody who'd you spend the day with 
Okay, so there's two. First would be my my husband and daughter because we just need a vacation so badly and we haven't had one. It's so amazing. I really want to want to add that. Perfect. But you know who I would and, and this is this is absolutely like not from a religious standpoint whatsoever. It is from a standpoint of the person I'm about to say unequivocally believed that they were a healer. I mean, they believed it. They believed it to the degree that I want to believe it. And you know who that is? That's Jesus. Really? And not from a religious standpoint, not from not from any Christian background whatsoever. But he believed, and we're talking about belief. I mean, mm-hmm. a person who believed in faith and believed in, because for me, in essence, the thing that is thwarting us from a spiritual standpoint, again, not religious, but a spiritual standpoint is if we feel that we are unworthy of our dreams, essentially those dreams are gifts from however one accesses the divine from whatever super consciousness someone connects with. That's where these things, that's where intuition comes from. That's where callings, purpose, mission. That's where we came from. That's what we're connected to. And if we don't believe we're enough, then somewhere in our core belief system with our creator, there's there is some bruised relationship there. And so what I love about the stance that Jesus took from a belief standpoint is to believe, to believe, to believe, and to have that kind of conviction to no matter where you go, you show up. I want that kind of conviction. Religion, totally aside, because I'm a metaphysicist. Mm -hmm. Um, But this idea of walking around like I'm a healer, you know, a lot of people, including myself, have a really hard time accepting our gifts. And if we did that a lot more, I think we could have a lot more just miracles happening. Even if you said no belief, you come in just from, uh, you said a metaphysical standpoint, totally having, a metaphysical. Co- having a coffee with him, just picking his brain for an hour. That would be. Yeah. Would be how do you stay committed to your beliefs? Yeah. How do you, uh, how do you walk around preaching this thing and People are telling you you're crazy. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's, Where do you find the conviction? Yeah, that's uh, pretty cool. Last question. Ryan Lassen, if you had to get a quote or a saying tattooed on your body, what would that quote or motto say? I saw it just the other day, and I thought I might actually get this on my right on my thumb, and it is, I am, dot, dot, dot. And I thought, Every single thing that you say after that is true for you in that moment. Wow. I am. I'm not enough. I am. I am. I So like literally in my face, what are you saying to you? What are you believing? And I, I've used the term stories in our conversation today. And I really want to like almost edit that out and go back and say, what I mean by that are your beliefs, the thoughts and feelings so important the feelings because we take action from our feelings mm-hmm. that we that's what a belief is and so the work i do is i help people shift those core beliefs i am and that just so ties into what you were saying over the past hour about your beliefs that you tell ourselves make all the difference that is awesome ryan lasan i'd like to thank you for joining us thank and telling you. your story and sharing your wisdom all right. If our listeners are looking for you and what you do online, where can we find you? Yeah, absolutely. So I have a quiz that anyone can take. It's free. And that can be found at www.inspirebrandconsulting.com. And I also have a free discovery call. If someone feels like I've just got to really connect with her, you can also find that on my website, inspirebrandconsulting.com. 
And then awesome. on IG as well at, at Inspire Brain Consulting. Awesome. What I'll do is I'll put your website and your Instagram handle on the show notes. If anyone's looking for Ryan and what she does or would like to connect with her, just go into the show notes. But Ryan, awesome to speak with you. And uh, thanks so much for sharing your wisdom. Thank a you. fun conversation. I, I learned so much. Got pages of notes. Thank Aww, you. Thank you. As have I. It's really been a humbling experience. Thank you so much, Joe. It's been a lot of fun. You're so a good. fantastic interviewer. Oh my gosh. So oh, good. Just you. really bringing out the great questions and thoughtful space. Thank you. You're fantastic. Hey, everyone. It's Joe. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed the episode. If you could, please give us a five-star rating on your podcast listening app, or better yet, share the episode with a friend. That really goes a long way of helping the podcast grow and connecting it with a bigger audience. Thanks so much. Talk soon.